Hello and welcome back to another episode of Let Loose With Moose. Today I have Patrick with me, also known as Dynamo DeFi. Hello Patrick, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for the invite. I'm happy to be here. And I'm very honored to have you here. So as usual, um, I would like to get my guest to start off with their introduction. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, would you want me to just talk about myself and my background? Yeah, sure. Great. Well, um, yeah, thanks again for the invite. Uh, my name is Patrick. Uh, many people know me as Dynamo DeFi because that was the name of my YouTube channel and now my newsletter as well. Uh, but basically, you know, to give a bit about myself before crypto, I'm from the United States. My background was in economics. I studied that at at uh, Harvard University. After that, I went to work Damn. in corporate finance. Oh yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I, so yeah, so I, I did that. And then I went to work in corporate finance for a few years. Uh, it wasn't really for me. Um, I was I was managing forecasting for a large sales area for a major uh, consumer packaged good company, and uh, this actually ties into crypto a bit first because I first really learned about crypto then because I had a coworker shilling it to me. This was back in 2017, and then also. One of the things I noticed as I was forecasting this multi-billion dollar sales region was that there's a lot of centralization in food supply chains, a ton of centralization where you'd have these small choke points in warehouses or or um, uh, plants, you know, factories, and one thing goes wrong and then the entire supply chain was messed up because it, it would ripple outward and it was socialized. I mean, people don't realize, I don't know as much about how it is in other parts of the world but you know for example something like bologna you know the meat there's really there's like two factories in the u.s that produce most of the bologna in the country uh, and if something happens to one of them there's a shortage uh and, and so this got me thinking you know there's got to be a better way to organize the world because every system that we have is centralized with those choke points where if one thing goes wrong it completely screws up everything i didn't make the connection to crypto yet but i had that in my mind as a problem that that really needed to be solved. Uh, regardless, the corporate world wasn't for me. So I uh, moved back home to uh, Philadelphia and started working at a nonprofit where I managed um, social media, managed their IT team, managed their data team, implemented IT systems, did all, a whole variety of different things there. Uh, and then come 2020, I was at home like many people uh, got into crypto just through the you know through the internet looking for ways to make money online and then after I had started to use DeFi it occurred to me I said hey maybe this technology could solve the problems with centralization that I had noticed all those years ago but first priority before solving problems was just to learn more about it and to honestly to try to use it and, and to use it to be frank to try, try to make some extra money uh, so so I started playing around with DeFi pretty heavily. Uh, I did for a long time, I had a thing where I would read one white paper a day. And I did that for months. Wow, that's months a lot to take in. It is, but the thing is at this point, you start to notice similarities, right? You notice right. patterns in them and you learn all the terminology. Yeah, so I was, for a long time, I was reading one white paper a day. It's simple. Is it the most efficient way to learn? Maybe not, but it worked because now I've read the year even years later i've read the white paper for almost every major crypto plus a ton of smaller cryptos many of which don't even exist anymore and i say white paper sometimes i just would read the git book if it was a smaller mm -hmm. smaller project that didn't really have a proper white paper and 
and yeah, so I started doing that. And then um, come mid 2021, uh, I w- didn't really have social media yet. I was just doing this on my own. Uh, the market had crashed and two things happened. First off, I didn't really have any money to put into crypto, right? I had, uh, the market had crashed. I, I had been way up and then I was ended up way down from where I had started 2020. Um, this was mid 2021. So I didn't, and I, and I wasn't truthfully making a ton of money. So I didn't have, um, any spare cash to invest. And I was like, this is really a bummer because there's a dip. I really think this technology is going to take off and I don't have any way to invest in it right now. Uh, so I wanted to build something. So, you know, two ideas I had were grow on social media. Another one was to learn solidity and start building. And and I started both actually, I, I did start to learn solidity back then. Um, and then I first made a video because I was trying to show my dad how to farm something on Avalanche. <laughs> he had gotten into uh, you know, crypto a little too. And I was explaining like, oh, you can earn these crazy APRs if you go, you know, withdraw your AVAX from the exchange and send it to uh, the AVAX C chain and you can farm on these farms. I mean, this was before the AVAX took off in 2021. So at mm-hmm. the time, there weren't really any videos or resources on how to do this. So you had to go to the docs and you couldn't withdraw directly to the avalanche c chain you had to withdraw to the avalanche x chain for i mean this many people might not even know what these are if they if they even if they've used avalanche they might not know that Mm -hmm. you know those are the different subnets but back then you couldn't withdraw avex to your metamask wallet you had to withdraw it to your avalanche wallet and then do this thing to bridge it across subnets in the avalanche wallet and it was it was quite complicated and i said you know if he can't figure this out probably a lot of other people can't either so i made a video about it and I showed how to troubleshoot some issues that that he had run into. Check back a few weeks later, I said, "Whoa, this has a few hundred views." And for me at the time, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of views. So I said, "Okay, clearly there's a market for this." Started making more videos. As the market picked up later that year, um, audience quickly ballooned to you know, a few hundred subscribers, and then to a thousand subscribers. And and at this point, I had decided it was it more sense to go all in on this than than splitting my time between trying to learn solidity and trying to learn this i go back and forth on whether that was the right decision in retrospect uh, but it did work off work out in terms of allowing me to grow a much larger audience because my efforts were more concentrated and i think that's in general a pretty good rule in life is you want your efforts to be concentrated um oh the other thing i was doing randomly is just because this is a topic right now with instagram and threads is i Uh i also had a an instagram crypto meme account that i also had been just posting memes about crypto on and I, I stopped posting around this time on that too, because I said, okay, this is, it makes more sense to go all in on YouTube. Um, <laughs> so you st- stopped memeing. But funny enough, when I, checked back, when I checked back a year later, it had grown from about 50 followers to 1,700 just during the you know, all 2021 bull run people following this old meme account I had made. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyway, so I, do I regret uh stopping it maybe i mean i honestly my bigger regret um and we can get into this my bigger regret is that i didn't go in heavier on youtube because i was even though i was making a lot of videos you know a few weeks during that period and and i mean and truthfully most people would be happy with my progress because i you know i have twenty one thousand on youtube at this point and a few dozen shy of 50k on twitter mm-hmm. uh if i had actually gone all in on youtube and learned how to play the youtube algorithm 
how to make good thumbnails. I know how to do this stuff now, but at the time I didn't bother. Learned how to make good thumbnails, how to make good videos where people are engaged and people are watching more of the videos and, and how to do higher quality editing, gotten a better camera. Um, and not to sound conceited, but but I I think I would have easily gotten to 40, 50,000 uh, YouTube subscribers or more during that period. And, and, so, and so I do regret that I didn't do that. I mean, I was for the longest time using a very cheap microphone. I was doing zero editing. I was just recording and posting. And mm -hmm. I was really not really thinking about the quality of the video. I was just saying whatever I felt like. And maybe that was good for authenticity. But I do think if I had put a little more thought into that, I could have maintained the authenticity while growing more. Man, now, uh, now you got me thinking of how I should do mine. <laughs> because like... Right, I, well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, well, it, it's tough, right? Because you want to, you want to be true to yourself and yeah. true to the type of content you want to make. But at the same time there is also an algorithm and there are proven things that work. And so, for example, one of the things I do now, and I know we're skipping forward in time a little, is the first 30 seconds of the video, I'll do the editing that people expect from the modern YouTube, TikTok, you know, so online like, video content. Like a hook where it's got, first part. Where it has big captions, it's you know zooming in on my face, it's whatever. <laughs> and, then, and then we do a transition and switch to the the hard-hitting content but the thing is the fact of the matter is that that having those people do those sorts of things because it works to grab attention uh and you can adapt it to your own type of content i think without sacrificing the actual core uh, information that you're getting across uh but anyways so 2021 youtube channel took off um i wasn't as active on twitter yet but youtube channel did very well and uh, yeah. And, and, and so basically suddenly I found myself, uh, with this decent sized audience, people actually cared about my opinions on crypto and, and uh, I wasn't, I didn't really monetize it. I mean, my, I had the native ads in YouTube, which are all right, but I didn't do sponsorships, didn't do any sort of paid group or anything. Um, in retrospect, probably should have set something up then because it was much easier than it was later but at the time i wasn't really worried right because i was still working full-time it was just a side thing that i was doing for fun uh i had a at this point sometime in the spring i got a job offer to go work at a fund so in may the first week of may 2022 mm -hmm. i left my old job in the next day ust depegged oh man uh, went to zero uh job fell through oh, and man. i have I applied for a bunch of crypto and tech jobs. Yeah, right. I mean, the worst possible timing. Right. Um, I applied for a bunch of crypto and tech jobs, only got one interview and, and didn't get a second interview. Um, I mean, maybe I should have been more persistent. I, I think part of it is I don't really have a, most of them were looking for people with a finance or tech background, which I don't have, uh, not not in the way they were looking for. So I think that may have made it difficult. But um, yeah, it didn't work out. So I said, okay, well, I guess I, what I have is this, I have a YouTube channel with, I think I had 14,000 subscribers at that point. I have a YouTube channel with 14,000 subscribers. I have a Twitter account with, I think I had around 4,000 followers. So it's much smaller. Um, and I've got a lot of time because, because I don't have a job. This was 2022. So, um, so I just started, you know, pumping out content, trying different things and ended up finding a niche in talking about uh, metrics on chain, talking about how to use different research tools mm -hmm. and just being active during the bear market, trying to show people which trends were still 
gaining traction because there were opportunities. And yeah, so I was able to grow my audience pretty significantly. I uh, was able to become an advisor for a few projects, which is really cool because actually seeing under the hood how they work, it changed my perspective on a lot of things as far as as far as what projects as, as, as far as why projects do the things that they do, because there are certain things in the past that maybe I thought were problematic. And then as I was actually helping out the project, I'm like, wow, there's actually can be really good reasons why, for example, a project pivots from one thing to another, because they might build the initial thing, learn that because the market shifted, no one's really interested in it, but they can repurpose that technology for something else. And in the past, I thought that was a red flag, but now I realize that if, if they're repurposing something they already built, it can just be a smart pivot. And I mean, there's tons of successful companies that, that did that sort of pivot. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, a little aside and not to get too, uh, what's it called all over the place, but, but little aside is, is Instagram, I believe was originally an app for reviewing food. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, and then they realized people only liked the function to take pictures of food. So they just re they got rid of the reviews and turned it into only an image sharing app. Um, interesting. Right. And now it's one of the biggest social media in the yeah. world where it was, originally and there's probably if they had been a crypto projects there would have been people on twitter uh fudding instagram and saying <laughs> you know, they're uh they're pivoting um you know the team's not following their roadmap but sometimes it's good to be nimble yeah it's good like i, I took a little bit of like a startup course back in in school right and then the one of the key points were to know when to pivot like if your original yeah. idea doesn't work out and you know that it's not going to work out it doesn't harm for you to think about whether this is the right thing to do or like should you pivot in another direction and in mm -hmm. many many proven cases um most successful businesses actually do pivot from their original idea so it's totally fine to pivot to go towards the so-called better direction and build towards that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely Absolutely. And, and I mean, that applies to people who are making content. It applies to crypto projects. It applies to traditional startups. It really applies to anything. Right. And, and right. I think a big part of it is just finding what your strengths are and how you can, can apply those best. Um, and, you know, another random thing is, and I I'm, don't wish that I had done this because I, I think I'm pretty happy trying to grow in crypto. But for example, I know some people who left crypto about seven months ago to go all in on AI related things. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of people roll their eyes on that, but a lot of these people have actually done extremely well since then because they were able to get on the trend early and their, their skills, whether it be uh, coding or whether it be, for example, creating a newsletter in one case, they found, okay, I can apply this as well or better to AI as crypto and more people are interested in it. So yeah, so I, I don't think there's anything, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with pivoting if it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to sort of round out my story now, we are more than halfway through 2023. I have a uh, decent sized newsletter. I've got a pretty good audience. I'm advising a few projects. And honestly, it's, it's just been remarkable because I've had the chance to meet and talk to a lot of people that I considered, I really put on a pedestal or just considered incredible thought leaders in 2021. And now, now there are people that I actually am able to, to talk to on a regular basis. And so that's basically my journey so far, just in terms of career and uh, web three or crypto, if you will, and uh, got big things planned for the next year. So I'm excited to see where it takes me. Nice. Thank you so much for sharing. I know you've went on for quite a bit. Um, just want to 
pull back to a few pointers about what you shared. So you mentioned that you were still doing a full-time job during like the 2020, 2021 when you first started out, right? Yep. And um, you kind of mentioned that you didn't have money to buy into the markets at that point. Could I ask like why? Yeah. <laughs> if that's okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I was working at a, a nonprofit and... Um, oh, right, right. Which, Sorry. Which, which doesn't pay as well. I mean, they, they pay a salary, but don't pay as well. And um, I mean, I shouldn't say I didn't able wasn't able to buy anything, but it wasn't the level I wanted, right? Mm -hmm. It was um, between expenses. I think I had, you know, I was saving and for, you know, depending on where people are in the world, maybe this is a lot, but, but I was saving like a hundred dollars a month. Um, that, that was sort of my, what I was making in excess of my expenses. And so mm -hmm. I didn't want to put all that into crypto because I have other things. So, you know, if I'm putting like $50 a month, uh, that's, that's, you know, maybe, maybe good for some people, but for me, I said, that's not really going to allow me right. to achieve my goals. Right. right. And, and I actually kind of agree with that. Your very, very first point where you talk about the logistics supply, right. And like how centralized. And I think we, we see that during COVID, um, especially in logistics and shipping, when everything is shut down, everything is just jammed, right. Because it's a one, it's a process that that goes through yes. like the first, second, and third stop. And once the any stops in between, or even the first stops is shut down, the whole thing is kind of stopped. Like you can't function anymore. Mm -hmm. right? Ab absolutely, right? I mean, that, that really underscored how connected everything was for me and how messed up it can be if you don't, um, what's the word? If, if, if your system is too centralized. Mm -hmm. But I think it's like kind of avoid unavoidable in um, physical goods the best you can do is like mm -hmm. kind of split it up diversify across like maybe three four manufacturers or suppliers for example but if mm -hmm. the whole country or the whole world was shut down at that point it's kind of unavoidable if it's physical goods in a sense um, probably a rare event I, I would say and probably not as applicable in crypto i guess or like in finances now that kind of everything is online and digital in a sense what do you think mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I think sort of what I've come down on the side of is that you can't, crypto itself is not, for example, going to centralize um, or decentralize the food supply chain, right? However, I think that having a decentralized payment network in a decentralized way of making trustless contracts is a, how to say, a, a key feature in building a system that's more decentralized overall to actually make say for example a decentralized food system it requires you to change how the farming apparatus is set up i mean so my, my parents are small farmers oh um, nice interesting and and so they have a a what's called a permaculture farm where where basically you farm in a way that's congruent with the with the ecosystem of the area but what, what a lot of people don't realize is that those sorts of farms actually uh, produce more per acre than a than a mass scale industrial farm it's just difficult to scale them right because because it requires you to have a economy set up where you for example have many small farmers mm -hmm. that are tending to the land closely than to have a huge i don't know where you are but in even, you know, in the U.S., for example, it would be a cornfield usually, right? You have a massive cornfield, then you have machines going through it and and in processing all these things. That has actually a lower yield per acre, but it's easier to do at mm -hmm. scale. Um, 
but but yeah so to have something like a food supply chain decentralized you need to have a lot more than just than just crypto but i think that having the financial and contract aspect of it decentralized are it's one fewer choke point if right that makes sense right totally agree and I was just visiting your YouTube page, uh, scrolling all the way back down to the very, very first video, uh, how to connect MetaMask to Avalanche and transfer it cross-chain. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, my, yeah. the, the quality is so bad, right? <laughs> but um, but that, that's something I tell people is that they, if they want to get started, they should just start because when yeah. I started, I I had you know, virtually no, I did no editing and I was using a a camera that was or not camera. I wasn't using a camera. Right. And I was using a a um, microphone that I bought for twenty dollars with an Amazon gift card. Someone gave me an Amazon <laughs> gift card and I said, okay, I'm gonna use this and this is how I'm gonna start this channel. And uh and that's what I started with. And yes, the quality wasn't good. In retrospect, I should have done some editing because it costs almost no money to, <laughs> to edit things. Right. Um but um but I, I was able to start getting an audience and improve it over time. And the good news is for people who are just starting, most likely no one's going to be watching at the start anyway, so you have time to improve. Right. And I was just going to say, like, it's so nice to see how you actually improve over time. Like, like you mentioned, the time levels from the very first video all the way to like your most recent stuff where you, you kind of look a bit like the, the guy who acts as reverse flash, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean... Oh but, yeah, <laughs> kind of a little bit, but uh, your, your thumbnails are like pretty nice, super nice, in fact. So it's really nice to see how you have like learned and grow along the journey. Kind of like mm -hmm. how I think of myself right now. Like my first few episodes are pretty shit. I just got a mic recently as well. So exactly like what you mentioned, um, I'm learning as how I go along as well. So trying to just put it out there, just doing it, and of course, very honored to have guests like you and the others come mm -hmm. on as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned that you went on to like on-chain analysis, like metrics and all. So how did you come about going into that niche? Because you just posted different, different content, right? Like at the start, you, you were talking about new farming strategies on, let's say AVEX on Phantom. Um, there's a video on how to use liquid driver, for example. And then you slowly, slowly move over, like pivot over to on-chain stuff. So did you feel that um, it's getting more attention, like more people are interested in learning this niche and no one's serving this market yet and that's why you decided to go into this or like, what, what is it like? Yeah, it's a good question. I think part of it was realizing that there was an, that was an untapped niche as far as um, on-chain analysis and on-chain analytics. Uh, part of it is also trying to skate where the puck is going because I think that in the long term that a lot of crypto analysis is going to shift from the sorts of chart-based technical analysis that dominates the market now to actually looking at fundamental analysis like you would with, with other sorts of tech and companies and i think that the on-chain metrics are going to be a key part of that and i think that's actually one of the key features of crypto because if you look at traditional companies you get a quarterly report whereas with crypto you can get real-time data on how how different projects are performing so so that, that's part of the reason i did it part of it is just simply uh, growing too big to cover some of those small projects, right? There was a time people would say, oh, you know, I miss when you used to cover these new yield farms. And I said, mm -hmm. okay, well, you know, it's okay to talk about new yield farms with a $500,000 market cap when you have a couple hundred followers and give your, and, and analyze them, right? Not shilling them, but just analyze them. It's not okay to do that 
once you have right you know tens of thousands of followers because even if you don't even if you're objective it's going to pump the price and that's yeah. not right so um yes yeah, so, so you kind of have to shift as you as you get bigger and now that the it's we're pretty deep into the bear market and the audience has shrunk a bit again could probably cover some of those but i just i i think my account has outgrown outgrown those sorts of things at least for the time being uh maybe i'm open to changing in the future i think my, my account has outgrown talking about those sorts of new yield farms and there's also aspect of when we're in a bear market it's much riskier to do those things and i sort of matured over time and realized that a lot of people don't manage their risk properly so even if i talk about it in the video i still feel somewhat responsible if someone you know learns about it from me ignores my risk warnings and then and then um, apes in any ways i know that everyone it's still ultimately their responsibility but but uh I don't want to put them in that position. Mm -hmm. Right. Nice. Thank you so much for sharing. And um, I actually want to ask like what kind of analytics tool that you use, but we all know the your answer from your Twitter post is going to be like DeFi Llama, Token ter Terminal, Dune Dashboards and stuff, right? So instead, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask which part of tools like this do you use the most? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the top tools, like you mentioned, I use DeFi Llama. I also use one called Artemis quite heavily. Mm -hmm. So uh, the main thing that, that I use these tools for is my goal is to find chains or protocols that are starting to gain traction, right? And, and I especially like to look for uh, categories, groupings of chains or protocols that are starting to gain traction. So for example, uh, if I go to DeFi Llama, the first thing I would do is go to the, probably the first thing I would do is actually go to the chains page. Mm -hmm. So there's a page of chains. You looked at the total value locked across chains. And I would look at which chains have been gaining total value locked. And I'm doing this at this the moment. And I see, for example, that Stolana is up 18% in seven days. So then the next thing I would do is I would click into there and I would say, okay, well, let's try to dive out. Let's, let's try to parse out. Are, are they up to 18% because uh, the price of Sol increased or because new money is flowing into the ecosystem? And so then if I, for example, there's a function on DeFi Llama to convert the TVL from USD to the native token of that chain, and I can convert it to Sol and see that it actually is up in terms of Sol. And then what I would do is I would go to DeFi Llama's stablecoin dashboard, and I would look at whether people are bridging stablecoins into that chain. And if I go there, for example, I see that actually not that many stablecoins have been bridged in. So that tells me that... Uh, this change is probably from people who already had sole, you know, stake using liquid staking or depositing it into DeFi protocols, which isn't bad, but it's not as good as new stable coins being bridged over to the chain. So that's the first way I use it. Um, uh, some other features that, that I find really helpful on there is DeFi Llama has a category page. Mm -hmm. So for example, it shows you the total amount on liquid staking, the total amount indexes, total amount in real world assets. And so what I like to do is look at which categories are outperforming the market. And for example, liquid staking was significantly less, had significantly less TVL than DEXs at the start of the year. I think it, mm -hmm. had, it had about half. Now, today, liquid staking has 21 billion indexes have 15.5 billion. So liquid staking is significantly larger. And so then 
you know, and this is how, how I look at everything in the crypto market, as I would say. Okay, so that is a pretty clear trend that a lot of money is flowing into liquid staking, right? It's up in terms of relative terms because it's larger. It's also up in absolute terms because of the start of the year, liquid staking had, let's see, I'll tell you in a second. Um, the start of the year, liquid staking had around, had under 10 billion. Now it's got over 21. So more than doubled, that's what, $12 billion in float. That's a lot of liquidity and capital, whatever you will, that's suddenly in these liquid staking tokens. Second order effects. And this is, again, how I look at everything. You say, what's the second order effect of all this money flowing into liquid staking? First order effect is, right, is that ETH is locked up. Um, another first order effect is that Lido, for example, has performed relatively well, as as Rocket Pool, because you have you have money flowing into these liquid staking protocols, so their governance tokens become more valuable. The second order effect is you now have a lot of uh, liquid staking tokens like STETH, so that's ETH that's been staked on Lido, and that means there's protocols that can use those tokens. And for example, you have, uh, I don't know if it's pronounced Libra or Libra, uh, that has built an application where you can provide STETH as collateral and borrow mm -hmm. stable or borrow or mint stable coins, I should say. You're minting stable coins that are over collateralized by STETH. And so a second order effect is protocols like that. Pendle is another one that's, that's building using liquid staking tokens. Um, Protocols like that, so-called LSD-Fi, those are uh, those are performing extremely well because you have you have all this liquidity that flowed into this category, and then they're able to tap into that liquidity. Uh, and, and so that's how I would use DeFi Llama would basically be to identify these trends, and then I can you do, you still have to use your mind, right? Use my mind to think about what the second order effects of this are. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's so great to hear you share this right now, man. Awesome. I appreciate that. It's like hearing the master speak instead of looking through your threads or, or you like, you gave <laughs> a, you gave a, um, I remember you have like this guide on on-chain analytics, right? For your, yeah. for your newsletter subscribers. So it's kind of li like listening to you speak of this in real time using like live data. Like I'm looking at the page right now as you were speaking. Super amazing. Wow. Maybe, maybe I ought to make more videos like this. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I ought to. Yeah, you should. I mean, why not do like a weekly or, or a monthly roundup on what's what's growing, what's caught your attention? Why not, man? I think it's great. Yeah, I like that idea a lot, actually. This is inspiring me. I like that idea. So, but yeah, really nice. Thank you so much for sharing. And um, as a, another follow-up question, since you do this all the time, like every week or, or something, right? Which DeFi sector are you the most bullish on right now and why? Is it the liquid staking, mm, LSD five? I mean, yeah. you can give more than one if you want to. Totally up yeah, to you. Yeah, so I, I'm going to give two. Um, sure. LS, LSD five is one because that reason I mentioned before, where you have mm -hmm. a lot of liquidity tapped in. Uh, another sector, which I did mention a few minutes ago briefly, AI? is uh, is real world assets. Ah. And I like this one because it's also showing significant growth. Uh, there's a ton of protocols I've seen that have launched in in this sector and for people who don't know what this is this is basically when you tokenize an asset that exists exists off chain and you tokenize it on chain um and i think i like this one because although i think we're still fairly far out from this being say ready to take on a 
significant proportion of the world's assets. I think there's just so many assets outside of crypto that you really only need to tokenize a tiny percentage of them to, to make it um, an extremely valuable part of DeFi. And I see so many protocols with solid teams, with solid technology that are launching in this sector. And they're combining oftentimes many of the best elements of crypto with the tangibility of real world assets. For example, launching launching perp dexes that have to do with real world assets or launching liquidity pools related to real world assets. And, and so I think that that sector is going to show a lot of growth over the next couple of years as it already is. And it, it's one that I'm actively trying to learn more about myself. Nice. You know, I actually thought you were going to say AI for the second one because AI. You've been, yeah, you've been pretty on about AI for since the start of the year, if I remember correctly. Yes. Right. <laughs> you know, no, actually I do like AI. And I think that if we, I mean, we kind of already had an echo bubble. If we got another echo bubble, I do think that AI coins would do well. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't include it because it doesn't have as much crossover with DeFi specifically. Most right, of the AI right, coins not, are right, more no. like infrastructure. Right. And actually, um, I think I mentioned this before in one of the previous episodes about my thoughts on real assets. Like, I'm just going to repeat it. Um, I don't think that it's a sector that I, I really like right now. Like, um, how should I say this? I'm not against this idea. Like, I do think it will do well. But I do not think that at this point where the, the projects right now that are doing this RWA um, or like, should I say, mass adoption will not come from what they are doing right now. And I mean, it's totally fine, right? Like you mentioned, maybe they just need to capture a small percentage to do pretty well. And I, I do agree that that might happen. But like, I just don't really see RWA being um, widely adopted in its current form. Maybe in future where like, there's different some progress maybe my, my thoughts would change but i guess my current take on that mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that's i think that's a pretty fair um uh perspective i guess what i would say is well first off you know, you know i like to look at the trends and the trend is that it's growing so yeah yep. I, I tend to go with the trend but i think the, the other thing is it doesn't have to be widely adopted in the in regards to the whole world to become a significant portion of crypto or even to become significantly larger than it is right now. Right yeah, now, true. there's about $500 million in real world assets that are tokenized. If, for example, it grew to $5 billion, which would only be the seventh largest DeFi category if it was $5 billion, mm -hmm. and it would be a tiny fraction of those assets, right, if you're talking about equities, real estate, gold. I mean, it would be minuscule, $5 billion. Um, it would still be a 10x from here. <laughs> and and so so that's the way I'm looking at it, right? Is that is that it has significant room to grow, yep. uh, whether or not it, um, it becomes widely adopted yet. Uh, and, and the other thing I, I would say is that, um, you know, to sort of take the other side of the position to my original point about it, I think that the things that make more sense to get tokenized first are not the, the uh, quote, real world assets that people are tokenized, tokenizing. And, the, and that's because there's actually a lot of digital assets that are more tied to the real world than crypto. And I mean by that, for example, ebooks, right? Or royalties from mm -hmm. ebooks, royalties from music. Um, although I know that's, you know, tokenized music entities are highly controversial, but royalties from music. <laughs> Um, 
affiliate income streams, for example. That's something that you can imagine being tokenized. Basically, basically there, there's a lot of online business income streams and, and other sorts of assets that people sell online that aren't tokenized. And I feel like there's a much smaller jump to tokenizing something like, for example, the future income streams from an ebook than there is to tokenizing the income streams from physical real estate because the ebook is at least already digital. Mm -hmm. Nice. I mean, that's a pretty good point. Like for me, I was thinking more of um, the thoughts of, like you mentioned, tokenizing real estate. Like I would love for that to happen. But do I think mm -hmm. that there's going to be a project out there that's going to let me have a stake in tokenizing real estate and let me like profit from that? I don't think so at this point. Or maybe it's just mm -hmm. like a cultural thing, right? Like I'm from Singapore. The Most of the estate here is owned by the government. So like there's a zero chance or close to zero chance that we can actually do that. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, um, you know, it, it's it really is an interesting dilemma. And I think the, the legal aspect is a uh, um, is definitely a tough nut to crack, which is part of the reason why I feel like the digital assets will be the already digital assets being tokenized makes more sense. However, I, I like I said, I still think that it has room to grow before it hits a uh, plateau. Right. I, I don't disagree there. It definitely can grow. Um, I'm not against it, right? Like I mentioned, I'm not against it. All right, and um, I'm going to move on to the, the next section now, right? Mm -hmm. um, Perfect. Which is um, something that I think a lot of people will be interested in hearing your answer to, which is um, what is your investing framework? Like you do so much analysis, you mentioned. What else do you do before you click that buy button? Yeah, so, so the first place that I start is with identifying these trends yep. like we talked about. You know, it's always, you're kind of playing on easy mode or at least not on hard mode if you're going with an existing trend versus trying to fight the trend. Mm -hmm. um, so I start there and then what I would do is I would look for a large array of projects that fit that trend. Um, and then from there, it's kind of a process of elimination. So you can eliminate projects that have awful tokenomics. You can eliminate projects that have no traction. Uh, you can eliminate projects that don't have solid teams, and then and then that narrows your list down significantly. And you know, I, and imagine you're a scientist. The you you have your thesis, which might be that you know you you read about the project, you read the white paper, and you can imagine the story that it's going to do well. That's your thesis, your hypothesis, mm -hmm. your thesis, or whatever you want to say it. And then um, the analytics are a way to verify whether your hypothesis is true. So basically the way I do after I do all these elimination things, I think about which projects I can tell an easy to understand story about why that project would do well. And a big part of that is because if you can't tell an easy to understand story about why this project would do well, then it's tough to imagine that retail investors who are spending way less time than me would care about the project. So I look at that uh, and I also look at whether it's, I find the app useful because if I don't find it useful, and I'm using crypto heavily, it's unlikely someone else finds it useful. So I look at those two things. Can I tell a story? Is it useful? And then that would be my point where I would probably decide to start building a position. And then I use the analytics to validate whether that hypothesis is true. So if I think that people are going to start using Pendle more, then I would 
use total value locked to validate whether that's accurate or not. Right. And, and, and you, you have yeah. to be nimble, right? You, you can always um, decide to, um, uh, you can always decide to change your thesis and sell. Right. So if I were to recap, it's identifying the trends and then cutting out those that um, with poor metrics or like poor tokenomics to zoom into a smaller subsector. And then from then on, you start to do your fundamental analysis, like go into the docs, white papers, and then looking more into metrics like TVL and comparing, for example, like Pendle with another protocol, for example. Is, is that what you mean? Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and in this scenario, since you mentioned identifying trends first, am I right to say that you don't necessarily want to pick projects before they start to move off or rather you're okay with buying into projects when they have shown to be in the clear uptrend, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, a lot of my best, I, I made some good moves that were buying things before anyone was talking about them, but a lot of my best moves were buying things that were, you know, I missed the first 10%, but I gained the second, you know, I, but I gained the 300%, right. Or I gained mm -hmm. the 500%. So, um, you know, buying it F when it was had had just gone up 10%, but it, but it would do another five X after that, 10 X after that. Um, that, that's a lot of the ones that I've, I've done very well on, you know, would I prefer to be able to get them right at the low? Sure. But that's, that's actually, I think much more difficult to predict than finding something that already is starting to gain traction. Mm-hmm. Right, but actually, I think ten percent is still all right. Like, have you seen some of the recent launches where they do like a three, four x within a day? Yeah, <laughs> how, how would you yeah, feel buying into that? Right. Uh, I would have a tough time. I mean, but part of it depends on where it's at after that, right? If it started out at a hundred thousand dollar market cap and right. it did a five x to five hundred thousand, I'm going to be less worried because there's still room for growth. If it starts at ten million and then goes to fifty million, yeah, that's going to be tough to mm -hmm. buy into. Right. I agree. Totally agree, man. And what are your thoughts for the markets for the rest of the year? Um, for the rest of the year? Oh, I mean, you going know, into 2024, sure. Uh, my, my, if I had to guess, I would guess that um, I don't see us returning to a full bull market. I would love to be wrong because that'd be great for me personally. I don't <laughs> see us returning to a full right. bull market. But uh, yet, yeah. But I think that um, I think we're going to have specific sectors that outperform. And I think that the ETF news, I actually, I know this is kind of a meme. I honestly think it's not priced in because because if that ETF is approved, you're going to have a huge amount of structural inflow to Bitcoin. And the reason is that you're going to have millions of people who either you know, buy crypto now, but not with a retirement account or who don't buy crypto now, who just have an automatic buy-in set uh, every single every single month to, to buy a little bit of the Bitcoin ETF. So I think mm -hmm. that that's actually going to make a big difference. Nice. So like, do you think that the ETFs are going to be approved? What, what, like, I do. You do. I do. I do think they'll be approved. Nice. I think when you have, um, well, did, did Fidelity just uh, file for one too? When you have, when you have a very yeah. minimum yeah, BlackRock and then you have Fidelity. I mean, you know, if there's one thing, the U.S. government is really bad at it's um, uh, turning down BlackRock and Fidelity, right? Two of the largest asset managers in the world. Right. No, I think um, I just watched one of the Blockmates video earlier today, or was it yesterday? 
um, Dan actually mentioned that it's actually kind of contradicting for for BlackRock to buy Bitcoin, like to have that ETF because BlackRock, they can essentially buy every single Bitcoin in existence and it kind of defeats the original purpose of why Bitcoin was created. Mm-hmm. Right, what, what are your thoughts yeah, on I mean, that? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's tricky, right? It's, um, I mean, I mean the, 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 the counterpoint is that they can't because as they purchase Bitcoin, if they try to purchase in large quantity, the price would increase exponentially. Right, there's not the liquidity for them to purchase all of it. Um, even though, yes, they have the technically have the money to purchase the market mm-hmm. cap. But say, say they try to put a trillion dollars into Bitcoin because of that would eat up all the liquidity. Probably the market cap would go to ten trillion. So they, they wouldn't actually, you know, the market cap would continue to be out of reach for them. Um, yes, I think there. If you had a situation where you had, you know, a third of the Bitcoin supply in the BlackRock ETF, that would be a major threat. But the good news is that Bitcoin is not proof of stake, right? If it was proof of stake, it would be a bigger threat. Um, but I, but I think also, you know, something like this is kind of inevitable. And I think that the bigger those get, and the more adopted Bitcoin gets, I think you'll see other institutions start to buy in as well. And so I, I still have confidence that um, the network will be decentralized enough or, or will be decentralized rather because you're going to have countries that want to if, if that happens in that scenario you have countries that want to build btc stores you have major mm-hmm. companies that want to have btc on their balance sheet you have other asset managers and even if you have 10 or 20 of those players that are competing to have a large share of of bitcoin then you're down to each individual player having you know at most a few percentage points of all the all the bitcoin and, and that's um you know, that's maybe not ideal, but that's decentralized enough that um, that no one can really control the network. And also, I mean, there's the fact that if if the network can't handle an asset manager making an ETF, if, it's, if that's going to make it too centralized, then it can't fulfill its original purpose anyways, which is <laughs> to be a decentralized, uh, you know, monetary system, store of value, whatever you want to, whatever narrative you want to use. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I actually thought that you were going to have a controversial take, but you wanted to say, I thought you wanted to say it's okay because no one uses Bitcoin anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually like Bitcoin. I, uh, you know, despite the fact that I post more about Ethereum because I talk about DeFi and stuff, I, mm-hmm. I like, uh, I like Bitcoin a lot. I like the, I like the, um, the mantra, the, uh, values of the, of the Bitcoin community, the, you know, the OG cypherpunks. And, um, and, and, and I think that Bitcoin is going to be here to stay. Yeah, I, I do think so. But it's just that for us as users, there's so much more to do on, on Ethereum and other, other chains where there's much more applications built on them, right? That's true. That, that, that is very true. Yep. Um, although, you know, one thing the Bitcoin community has done very well, I'll say, is they've put a lot of emphasis on, for example, building more decentralized on and off ramps and make BTC more usable in the real world, uh, which sets it up to actually function in a world that's function in the real world and also function in situations where the government tries to crack down on it. So I think that uh, Bitcoin is significantly more anti-fragile. Ooh, nice. All right. And thank you so much for sharing. It's been really nice hearing your story, like from the way you started on your first AVEX video and how you got to this point and also sharing your on-chain analysis. Um, now I'd like to move on to the more personal sector where 
I or we would like to know more about you, Patrick, yourself, outside of okay. your crypto, right? So um, I want to ask about your daily routine because for the listeners, I texted him one day uh, on at like 4 a.m. his time and he kind of replied me about an, an hour later like, or two mm-hmm. hours later, right? And I was like, damn, you're an early bird. Like, I wanted to ask, are you like the, the 5 a.m. club guy? Um, yeah, I don't do it for clout, but I, um, so I have this, I got a dog about six months ago. Uh, it's this oh, nice. dog called a, it's called a Belgian Malinois. And, um, okay. they're, they're one of the highest energy dogs in the world. People call them, um, German shepherds on, uh, on meth. That's <laughs> the nickname for them. Um, uh, anyways, I have, I have that, uh, dog. And so basically I get up around six or six thirty AM every morning to, to exercise her for, for a couple hours. Um, and that's good for me. I get outside, I get some fresh air, get exercise. I usually listen to an audiobook or something. Uh, and, and, and it's a lot of fun. Um, although yeah, sometimes I take out my phone and I respond to messages before mm-hmm. I, before I do that. Um, but so I, so I do that in the morning. Um, and then usually what I'll do is I'll start my routine for actually work and producing content, which will be going through all the things I mentioned before, as far as DeFi Llama and crypto news and other, other trends to, to see what's going on in the market, both from what other people are saying and what my own perspective is. I'll usually queue up some, some content for the rest of the day. And then at some point in the morning, I, I try to have some deep work where I focus on actually producing some longer research guides or, or content that I can put out. Sometimes I get one out every day. Sometimes I'm working on something and then I get it out the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll usually, you know, I try to schedule meetings late morning or early afternoon. Um, usually I'll then go and uh, run or lift weights in the in the late afternoon, uh, then back to the grind. I sort of, you know, spread out my, one nice thing of having a, my own schedule is I spread out my work throughout the day. So then the, you know, after I exercise, I go back to work and work into the evening. And I guess, you know, then then I have a little more free time after that. But, um, you know, I'm not one of those in the past, I've had times where I was one of the people where, for example, my routine was, you know, I get up, I, I do sometimes take cold showers cause it's hot right now, <laughs> uh-huh. but, um, but where I would get up and, you know, I would, uh, do all of these life hacks to, to, uh, you know, improve myself, optimize my life. And I think that there's a lot of virtue in doing that. And I think that there are a lot of benefits. However, I'm at the point right now where I've got so many specific hobbies or things that I'm working on and want to improve on that I think that there's more value in in spending a lot of time in working specifically in those and I find that as long as I'm eating healthy and getting exercise for example if I'm attacking content creation with intensity and I'm I'm going after right now this dog training with intensity I'm attacking my my physical training with intensity then that translates into into uh biological benefits and mentality benefits as well right you know it's tough to to uh you know go out and run uh, five miles lift and then spend a couple hours making content and not develop the focus that you would also get from some of these more complex routines that people have Mm -hmm. not to again not to say there's anything wrong with them but but i've found that actually doing works better for me Right. You you went from taking cold showers because like David Goggins asked you to to doing it because the weather was hot. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, just kidding. But yeah, but I think it's really nice um, that you kind of spread out like exercise, work, exercise, work. Kind of give yourself a mental break in between, right? To recharge and just rest your brain for a bit. Exactly, exactly. Like, do you focus better using this method? Maybe I should try it out. Uh, I, I do fo- find I focus better doing it because then I can have, you know, some time that I'm really focused on work, uh, content, crypto, whatever you want to say. Then I take a break, exercise, and then I go back to it and I'm and my brain is ready to go again, right? Nice. And I mean, you mentioned you have some free time, right? So my next question is, yeah. what are some of your hobbies outside of crypto? Mm. Or besides exercising well, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe your dog? Exercise and, and the dog stuff, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, those are the main ones. Um, I, I do like to read uh sometimes i'll play age of empires video game ah. um those are those are are truthfully the main ones i mean i mean this is exercise i like to cycle i like outdoors <laughs> nice i like outdoors things um usually i'll, I'll try to go on one like 30 mile wow. bike ride every week um uh yeah well, my my so actually i mean this is getting into personal stuff as well my girlfriend's a semi-professional triathlete so that's wow. why i have to be doing all of these um all of these intense exercise damn that's crazy man like um just had a call with jake the other day right and he was mentioning that he wanted to do like triathlon and now you're mentioning that your girlfriend's like a triathlete as well so it's pretty damn cool mm-hmm. yeah yeah no it's, it's it's certainly interesting and that's like you know one interesting thing with getting into different hobbies either yourself or because someone you're close to is getting into them is that mm-hmm. you realize that there's all of these subcultures that exist out there and that there's all of this really deep knowledge and focus that people have accumulated over the years and i just i love learning about new things like that and improving because it's like it's almost like being a kid again where you're starting oh, fresh yeah. you're learning about the world and, and you realize that there's this whole microcosm of the world out there that you didn't know existed totally agree man like when i was in track i was like the coach was saying like you're running wrongly i'm like it's possible for someone to run wrongly like there's a correct way to run and a wrong way to run right like there's so much into how you take every stride and like there's a whole community around that it's so nice to kind of join different communities and just be with them right learn from them absolutely absolutely and you know in the the thing that's really crazy is um as expansive as the internet is i mean you can the internet makes it so much easier to learn about these things right Mm -hmm. Um, so much easier but even as much as is on the internet there's still communities out there still interests where a lot of the knowledge you got to learn in person by going and talking to people um you know there's there's tons of tons of things out there if they're niche enough that it's either not online or it's so buried online that it would, that it's difficult to find it. You wouldn't even know if it's, if it works or not. Totally. Totally. Right. And another question would be, what are your goals for the rest of the year? You kind of mentioned you have things planned for the second half of the year and next year even. So let's hear about it. Yeah. So first thing I'm doing is uh, really trying to grow out my um, newsletter right now where I talk about trends and on-chain stats. I think that, given some of the volatility we've seen in social media platforms, I want to make sure that, that my personal content business is, is able to uh, be resilient for, for whatever happens. So really growing at the email newsletter, planning to at some point 
uh, pivot that into having both the free version, which is what I have now, and then also having having um, premium content, which may take the form of research reports, uh, dashboards, nice. uh, group, something like that. Still, still working at that exactly because I'm focused on on increasing distribution for the free content at the moment. Uh, but focused on that, um, I'm in talks to start advising a few more projects, which I'm excited for. And you know, always just always trying to stay on top of the of the next thing. Um, I, th I think that those two things alone that will keep me pretty busy for at least the next couple months. Nice, awesome. Looking forward to your next um, newsletter, right? That the, it's gonna be like Lin's Ledger, something like that. I don't know what you're gonna name yours. Have you thought of a name yet? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I have the Dynamo DeFi newsletter. I, I don't know um, exactly what I'll call the. Uh, if there's a premium version, what I'll call mm -hmm. it, but something like that. No, but totally so nice. Uh, looking forward to it. And we are approaching the one hour mark. Let's wrap things up soon. Could I have your biggest takeaway from crypto? My biggest takeaway from crypto? Hmm. That's a really good question. So, well, okay. I'm, I'm going to have two. I don't want to skirt the question, but I have two because one is is about personal life, a take, personal takeaway. And another one is about how the world works. So personal takeaway that I have from spending time in crypto is that if you want the most out of life, you have to take risk. Ooh, nice. And sometimes you see people come into crypto and they want the rewards, but they don't want to take risk. And those people never get the payoff that people who are willing to take risk do. You can also lose with risk. And I mean, that's why it's risky, right? But if you want the most out of life, you have to be willing to take a risk. Um, so that's the, agree. yeah. Yep. So Go that's, ahead. that's the personal takeaway. And I think that applies to many things. And, and you know, that's, that's the number one. Um, another takeaway I have, and this is a little bit more academic is that when I'm looking at the world now, whether that's news, other markets besides crypto technology, just like with crypto, you have to look at the second order effects. I always pay more attention to what the second order effects of everything are. Nice. All right. Thank you so much for sharing. And as a final question uh, to wrap things up, could I have a guest nominations that you would recommend to come on the podcast? You could give me like three names maximum. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a few that I think would be really good. Uh, first one, I don't think he does podcasts, but you can try is... Uh, Rec Diomedes. Oh man, I was uh, hoping you wouldn't say. <laughs> oh, oh, do a lot of people say him? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a good friend, but I don't think he does podcasts. Yep. Um, another one you could look at is um, uh, Thor Hartvigsen. Another Ooh, right. friend I, I like, like what he puts out. Um, uh, and another one that that would be interesting. That that's uh, a friend of mine. Um, I honestly I talk to him all the time, but I, I don't know how to uh, pronounce his name. I'm ashamed to say is uh uh his name is spelled p-r-z-e-m-e-k uh and then his last name is c-h-o-j-e-c-k-i he has um he produces content on ai and crypto and especially the the fusion between them um but he is a uh polish mathematics phd wow um, extremely smart and also has a crypto youtube channel um uh and and i uh I, I really enjoy his takes on things because it's unique. Uh huh. I, I might need you to link me for that. 
Yes, I'll I'll send you the uh, I'll send you the link on Telegram. All right, and I think we shall wrap things up over here. Thank you so much uh, for coming on, Patrick. It's been really nice to hear you share your story and your thoughts. Uh, thank you for the listeners as well for the time. I will link everything down. Um, Patrick's Twitter, YouTube, and newsletter as well. So make sure to check him out if you haven't already done so. Thank you. Bye bye.